0: Hello, my friends. We are so glad that you're here. If you're watching online, a special welcome to Deland, to Palm Bay, and everybody that's watching out there, wherever you might be, whether you're on vacation or you're sick, we're glad you're there as well. Uh, we're moving on to Acts chapter 21 uh, to get your Bibles out. If you're new today, uh, we just work our way through books of the Bible. <clears throat> that way we can't skip over anything we don't like, and we have to give you the whole teaching Uh, of the word of God. So we're in Acts chapter 21 today. This is the beginning of the church. Paul is traveling by ship. We'll get into all that in just a minute. Uh, A couple of things I want to highlight on November the 11th, we're going to be having a banquet for our Jesus clinic. Now, if you're astute, you're saying we already had that and you'd be correct. Had there not been a hurricane and uh, our hotel was in the middle of the flood zone and most of the people couldn't get there so we've rescheduled it to November the 11th so if you are already planning to come please reconfirm that and if you're interested in coming you can stop at the desk we have a letter that explains it Uh, this is a fundraiser Our our clinic literally does millions of dollars of free health care every year, and we take care of hundreds of families. And this is this is for people who have jobs but do not have health insurance. And we've, there's a hole in the system there, and so our clinic has stepped into the middle of that and done just an amazing job. And every few years we have a banquet to support uh, that clinic, so that's going to be on November the 11th, and you can see it out there. The other thing I want to talk about is the shoe boxes. We got three weeks left, and I just want to put a push on that. If you've got shoe boxes, haven't brought them back, haven't taken them yet, have taken some, but you need to take more. Um, it is the biggest. Um, we get more out of this than anything we do because out of every two shoeboxes made, statistically, one kid accepts Jesus Christ somewhere in the world. All right, so that means if this church does 7,000 boxes, which is our goal, we've still got 2,000 to get out of here to get packed, but if we do 7,000 shoeboxes, 3,500 children will be in heaven one day. Not Not to count all of their family and friends that they may end up Influencing. So my family has decided that every year we're just going to add a shoebox. So we're up to 13. And it costs about 20 bucks to fill it. It's $10 for the shipping. And we did 13 this year. So based on the statistics, I have six and a half children. So I need somebody to pick up that other half <laughs> child. So somebody look out for me. Uh, so anyway, those boxes are out there in the lobby. Help yourself. Uh, try to get friends involved, family, civic groups. There's so many ways uh, to get this done. <clears throat> but I was I was thinking uh, earlier this week about all the things that my mom used to say, my grandma used to say. And uh, the list just kept getting longer and longer. Like, don't put all of your eggs in. And a stitch in time. But nobody knows nine what. Nobody seems to be able to, to, to answer that one. Um, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. Two rights make an airplane. <clears throat> you notice I step behind the... When it comes to leadership, and this is kind of the core statement I want to make, real leaders don't force people to follow. They give them an opportunity to do something great. And that's what I want to challenge you to think about today, and I'm going to show you how Paul did that with people that were around him. So, Paul has finally left Ephesus, we spent four weeks in chapter 20, Uh, Paul uh, spent years there teaching, preaching, developing leaders. Last week we talked about the wolves would come in. They almost killed him in the arena there uh, in Ephesus. He's finally left the leaders there and he's heading back. And the picture, if you look at the the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, that's where his ship is. He's in Lebanon. He's entire in, in Lebanon. Then he's going to stop at a city called Ptolemais, which is the modern city of Akko. And then he's going to go to Caesarea, and Caesarea is straight across to Jerusalem. All right. So it's one of the most beautiful spots in the world to work that eastern med coast. And needless to say, that's where a lot of resorts and things are built today. But that's where Paul is on these ships coming down to share the gospel. So if you'll stand out of respect (coughs) for God's word, we shall attack this chapter. Now this is Luke writing, Paul's friend, he's a doctor. And Luke writes, We continued our voyage from Tyre, okay, Lebanon, landed at Ptolemaeus, northern Israel, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven original deacons. He had four unmarried daughters, who prophesied, who taught. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and he said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people, Luke And the rest of his friends pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Am I ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of a man named Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. You can be seated. So I want to tell you what jumped out at me, all right? And I don't know that these are great, deep theological thoughts, but I think they're very important to our relationship with God. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, they're very practical. Secondly, because it's in the Bible and why would God put it in there if it wasn't important? But the first is if you're going to change the world, you're going to change eternity, you really want to fulfill the mission, the plan that God has given you, you've got to make friends. You've got to build friendships. And what stood out to me <clears throat> is I, as I read this, Everywhere Paul goes, he's got friends. They stop, they left Ephesus, left everybody crying in Ephesus, and then they make the first stop, and it says a bunch of the brothers came out, a bunch of the disciples came out, met with him for a day. Then he goes on down, and he meets Philip, and then Agabus comes over, and then Philip's daughters are there, and then all the believers in the um, the area there where Philip lives in Caesarea, all those people are there. And he calls them all by name. They're all his friends. You want to know how to get through this life? You want to know how to survive as a Christian and thrive as a Christian? The key is the people that surround you. The first thing you tell people that are struggling with any kind of addictions, you know this, don't you? People, places, and things. You change the people, the places, and the things. You want something different, you got to put yourself in a different spot. If you hang out with people that drink and do drugs and fight, that's what you're going to become. If you hang out with people that pray, study the Bible, and make shoe boxes, guess what you're going to do? Just not that complex, is it? But the key is friendships. And I am blessed. I am so blessed with so many friends. And I'm so grateful for that. A lot of you here in the room. um, But I have, we talked about it before, but I have six in an inner circle. And there's six guys that I went to college with, five and me. And we meet twice a year for venting, for prayer, for encouragement, to be made fun of each other. There's a whole lot of things that go on. We text nearly every day. But one of those guys sent out a text two days ago and he said this. He said, I am so grateful to have men in my life that are 2 a.m. friends. That I could call you guys at 2 in the morning if I had a problem or even if I didn't have a problem. Even if I just needed to talk. I'm so grateful to have friends like that. Now if you don't have friends like that, You gotta be careful. You wanna make sure you pick the right friends, all right? Because we we haven't I mean, there's a whole lot of commitments we've made to each other that to hold each other accountable for all kinds of things. And these guys have a right to hurt me in a whole lot of ways if I screw up. So you wanna make sure you've got the right friends, because there's a lot of people in your life that pretend to be friends. Am I right? So you want to be really careful, but everybody needs those relationships. Now, why are we always harping on get in a small group, be on a mission team, be in a ministry, work in the food pantry, work in the children's ministry? Because in those ministries, you're going to make friends. And out of those ministries, you're going to build those relationships. Because this Christian life was never meant to be one alone. And you're thinking, well, if Paul could do it alone... No, he couldn't. How about Jesus? We'll get to this at the end of the message. Jesus constantly had the disciples with him. Not that he couldn't do it without them. But he had them with him. And then specifically, who's he got with him? When things get tough? Three. Peter, James, and John. So Jesus has got this inner circle. Now, King Solomon said this to his son. He said, A man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Every year after the holidays, people say this to me. Hey, I survived my family. And I'm so happy to be back with my real family. Now don't get me wrong. Our job is to help our families find Christ. But we all know that's a pretty true statement. There's people that you have to be with, but then there's people that you choose to be with. Yes? Let me tell you about President McKinley. This is one of the coolest stories. I, I love just digging American history. Uh, President McKinley m- made his fame at the Battle of Antietam. If you're a Civil War fan, uh, Sharpsburg, Maryland, Antietam Creek, the bloodiest day in American history. Even the Twin Towers comes in number two. Uh, The Battle of Antietam saw more men die and more men get wounded than any other battle. McKinley was in the Ohio Regiment. McKinley never shot that day. McKinley, well, I guess he was shot at just because he was on the field. But McKinley ran around the battlefield. It's a true story. He ran around the battlefield with a huge cauldron of hot coffee. Read it. And he would go up to the guys, they had their 10 cups, they would scoop up coffee, and they would take a slug of it. And he covered the battlefield that day. And it said they fought like new men once they'd had their coffee. Anybody relate to that? Come on. Not much has changed since the Civil War. We're still right there. But here's what I want you to see. 30 years later, McKinley runs for president. You know why he won the presidency? For carrying coffee to a group of men 30 years earlier. That was his reputation and that was the story that propelled the man into the White House. That's what friendships do. Friendships sometimes show up 20 years later, 30 years later. It doesn't always happen right when you think it's going to happen. We're relation, we're friends, but sometimes it's 10 years later that something happens and all of a sudden people are there because that's what friends do, especially friends in Christ. You're like, well, I don't need anybody. I'm doing fine. All I can tell you is today, but what about tomorrow? And what about when you get the cancer diagnosis or when, when your wife leaves or what happens when the children do this or what happens when you get an attack of something? That's why we need this inner circle of friends. And it amazes me that Paul lists all these people. If you want to see a bigger one, go to Romans 16, the last chapter in the book of Romans. The entire chapter is just names. Paul says, hey, say, say hi to Fred and Wilma. Be sure Jack knows that I'm thinking about him. Let let Ralph know I've been praying for him. It's an entire chapter. It's like, why do I need this? It's showing you that Paul knew people and he had friendships. Then we move on to the second part. And that is the commitment to boldly finish whatever the calling God has on your life. Now... I don't know whether we've been called to die. We find out in the story, Paul's called to die. I think Paul's known that all along. Uh, Paul's going to go to... Jerusalem, he's going to testify there. Uh, They're going to try to kill him in Jerusalem. They're going to try to kill him on the way to Caesarea while he's under arrest. Uh, He's going to be on a shipwreck. He's going to be nearly starved to death. Let's see, he's going to get bitten by a snake. This is all stuff we've got coming up. And then ultimately he'll end up in a dungeon in Rome and they'll pull him out of the dungeon and they'll behead him. That's what Paul's got to look forward to. But he says, why are you guys crying and breaking my heart? Why wouldn't you think that I'm ready to die for Jesus? Doesn't that statement grab you? All I have to do is live for Jesus. I may have to die for Jesus someday. I don't know that. But all you and I have been called to do is to live. So how do we finish what God has started in us. Some of you may be brand new on this journey and you're like, I'm still trying to figure out why I'm here and what my purpose is and what my calling is. But a lot of us, you're at that stage where I want to finish well. Do you ever pray this prayer? God, don't let me screw it up now. That's when you know you're on the backside. You're in the second half. Maybe you're in the fourth quarter. God, don't let me screw this up now. I want to finish well. Speaking of finish, did you see this about Finland? Anybody see, you know, Poland's been taking in all the refugees uh, from Ukraine. I mean, literally, tens of thousands. And Finland closed off their border. Completely shut down their border. Now nobody can cross the finish line. You still here, Jim? You still here? All right. Make sure nobody left. All right. You know, I think sometimes we think the job God's given us is so hard. This is a map of Marco Polo. Marco Polo, if you don't know his story, you should read his journal. His journal is fascinating. It's, I don't know, what, 700 years old? Um, but he, he chronicles him walking from Italy to Mongolia a couple of times in his lifetime. All right, There's the map of where he walked. All right, That's his life. And the story was so amazing that when he wrote it down, nobody believed it. The problem is he had all the facts right, and he obviously did make the trip. And we whine and complain because we think our mission is too difficult. Now look, I don't know what it is. Is your mission to teach? Is your mission to do shoeboxes? Are you supposed to do all of this? or what? What's my part? I don't know what your part is in the mission. Nobody else that was at that table that day found out how their story was going to end, only Paul's. A guy named Agabus, who we met earlier, uh, he's from chapter 8, he shows up and he told them early there was going to be a famine. And I just want to, this is a parenthetical statement here. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it said God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers. Now I want you to pay very close attention. All right. First of all, Just because God gave somebody those gifts does not mean you get a title. It bothers me. I mean, I understand you call me pastor sometimes out of respect, but my mom named me Joseph. Alright? Joseph Dale, if you want to yell at me. Alright? But, (laughs) but she did not name me Pastor Joe. Alright? Because that immediately sets up the fact that there's a difference between me and you. And there's no difference between me and you. Except that God has put me in the place to teach right now. So that's a very dangerous thing. But here's the thing you need to understand about these titles. For instance, let's just look at this prophet title. Do you know what happens if, you're, if you say you're a prophet and something you say doesn't happen? In the Old Testament, now I don't have the authority in America, but in the Old Testament, you were stoned to death. And I've had people come up to me and say to me, I'm a prophet. And I say, really? Really? Because they don't know their Bible, and so I try to educate them. I say, I don't care how, you know, you're, you're trying to set yourself apart, but you need to understand we're all servants. We've been gifted differently, but that doesn't mean that we walk around with some kind of a special thing. Yes, Philip, who was Philip? Philip, he says, Philip, one of the seven. Seven deacons, the original group that was set aside. We haven't heard about Philip since Acts chapter 8 when he led the Ethiopian to Christ in the chariot and baptized him on the road. Remember that? For the last 30 years, Philip's been preaching the gospel in Caesarea. Caesarea is one of the largest Roman cities. You go there today, it's all still there. Huge theater, a huge... um, A port where the ships were. uh, A huge hippodrome for horse racing. It's a massive Roman city. It's all still there. So Philip was in the right place to win people to Christ and to plant churches. So Philip is locked in there while Paul's out traveling. But nobody's going around going, hey, I'm the evangelist. Hey, I'm the deacon. Hey, I'm the... It's Paul and Philip. Because you don't need all that other stuff. I always love it when people come up to me and they want to tell me, you know. And listen, I have respect. I call my doctor, doctor. Because I figure he's he or she has worked their tail off and they've earned that right. But I also love it when my doctor says, listen, call me Jack. Because that tells me he understands. Yes, I am a whole lot smarter than you, but that's not the point here. We're friends. Do you see the power that happens when we lose the titles? All right? We become friends, and now we can focus on our mission. I love how Paul wrote this in Philippians 1, six. If you haven't memorized a verse, you're beat up right now. This is a good one. I'm confident of this, that God, who created a good work in you, will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. But... But I've hit a roadblock. Things aren't going well right now. This is happening. Uh, Money is not what it used to be. My house got wiped out. Okay, so there's a hiatus here. But I'm confident of this. What God started in you, God's going to finish. The mission is not over. And then we come to the hard one. The hard one is to believe and to say the Lord's will be done. Now... This is obviously taken from Jesus as Jesus is about to be arrested. Jesus is over on the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley. And he's about to be arrested. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be beaten. He's going to have uh, be whipped where the skin and the sinew and the flesh is torn apart. Blood's going to be everywhere. He's going to carry a cross. He's going to be crucified. All this is about to unfold. And Jesus is out praying. And he has the disciples with him. He left them back, and he took the three with him. Jesus went on a little further to pray. What the three do? He went to sleep. Jesus comes back, he goes, Dude, you couldn't stay awake for an hour. This is like all of history about to unfold, and you jokers are asleep. Yeah, sorry, Jesus. So he goes on again, prays some more, comes back, what are they doing? And then Jesus says, Lord, if there was any other way, and again, you need to understand that I'm not saying that Jesus was not bothered by the crucifixion factor, but the bigger issue here is that Jesus is going to take all of the sin of the world onto himself. Not minimizing crucifixion. It's a cruel, horrible way to die. Millions of people died that way. But Jesus is going to go to that cross carrying every evil thing I ever did, you ever did, everybody in the world's ever done. He's taken it all. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way around this, let's do that. But then he said, your will be done. Now look. We know in the core of us, God's will is going to be done. You know that, right? God's will will be done one way or the other. But there's a whole new aspect when you and I speak it. When you and I say, Lord, this is what I'd like to have done. But listen, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of my family. You're in charge of things. So your will be done. I like how Charles Spurgeon says it. Charles Spurgeon said, listen, church, you were saved not to go to heaven. You were saved so you'd take somebody to heaven with you. What a statement. What a statement. Because a lot of Christians just sit around and say, well, I'm good. I'm just waiting to die or waiting for Jesus to come get me. And I promise you, there are whole churches like that. That is not our call. Our call is God's will be done and what is God's will? Well, let me tell you, this is how it, Paul wrote it to Timothy. He said, this is what's good and this is what pleases God and our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's God's plan? God, your will be done. What's God's plan? For all men, come on for all men to come to salvation. That's God's plan. So in my prayers, in my talking, in my life, in my work, everything I do is to give somebody that opportunity. It's still up to them to make a choice. But we don't just sit around and wait for that to take place. We take action. Now we talked about, Cord talked about the concert that's coming on the 21st. Josh Paul will be here. That's going to benefit a a new church uh, up in West Virginia. We're excited to be a partner of a new church plant up in Appalachia, one of the poorest areas. We're planting a church uh, right in the middle of of that area. So that's, that's what you'll be supporting that night when you come to the concert. But this is what Josh Paul said when the Queen of England died. He said, I wish the church would get half as excited about the King of Kings as the world is about the Queen of England. It's like, wow. In fact, the British even said it for us. I didn't say it, but the British said it. They say, this is how it goes, the Queen is dead. The response of all the people, long live the King. They just got the wrong King. The queen is dead. Long live the king of kings. Now listen, I don't know where you're at. Whether you're watching online, the land, Palm Bay, here. If you've not accepted Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity. I think you're going to see a baptism here uh, before you leave. We had one last night. Uh, it is, it is made new weekend. We're gonna switch it up. Pay attention. Uh, if you wanna, if you need to be baptized or if you wanna come out and cheer, you're watching online, you get up, come. We're gonna be at Tom Rennick Park. That, you go down, uh, Granada and you go north. Rennick Park is up there because Andy Romano Park no longer exists. They're gonna have to rebuild it. There's no steps, there's no beach. It got destroyed. Uh, so we'll be going up to, uh, to Tom Rennick. Uh, same ocean, so we'll be okay um, If you need to be baptized Six o'clock uh, tonight Or you can come up here You can hit the button, I've decided One of the coolest things happened last night So I, well, we knew there was going to be a baptism But I, I didn't know who it was And I walked off stage And I and I went back to meet the person getting baptized And Pastor Carrie said Joe, she's never been to church here ever She watched online She came here to accept Christ. She'd never been here. She goes, oh, I'll be here from now on. But she said, I've never been in this building. And she came last night, gave her life to Jesus, Carrie baptized her. It was a very cool moment. I'll finish with this sign, all right? I want you to take a look at this, all right? You're driving down the road. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of the sign. That's good information, right? Take a look at the bottom part. Also, the bridge is out. Now, this would be information that perhaps should have been up here, yes? Let me tell you why this sign got my attention. Because I feel like for most people in the world, this is where they live. Hey, my oven's broken. Hey, this is not right. Hey, the brakes on my car need to be fixed. Hey, I don't have enough money for this. How am I going to solve this problem? And the truth is, they're not ready for eternity at all. And the bridge is out. Okay, you got it. Father, I pray that your spirit would let us know what we need. For some, they need to start building those friendships. And it can be hard because people have been hurt with some of those decisions in the past. For some of us, we've got hung up and we need to get back on track to finish our mission. For some, it's an emotional decision to actually say, God, you know what? For once in my life, I have to say, I can't be in charge. It's got to be your will that's done. So Father, as we let your Holy Spirit move Speak to each one of us. Who's being called to teach children? Who's being called to fix this? Who's being called to get involved? What is it God's saying to you? Lord, you bring it home in Jesus' name.